Well, I've been really enjoying teaching and preaching on the Lord's Prayer here, and we're just plowing along through it. Um, and so I trust you're getting something out of all of this as well. As a matter of fact, it's going so well that Pastor Garrett Leahy is changing out, I think. He's adding on. He's like, hey, you guys didn't cover this stuff at the end because we ran out of weeks. And he says, I'm going to do them. So like, we're just going to get the whole Lord's Prayer all the way down to the amen, hallelujah, I think. So it's going to be good. So uh, we're pounding along through this. So... Um, you know, everyone has access to the Lord's Prayer, right? And by everyone, I mean everyone. The Lord's Prayer is one of the big three. Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. You know, so if you're on Jeopardy, you want to make sure you got those on there or whatever it is. So, um, or actually, it'd be Family Feud, sorry. Uh, so, I mean, even secular people... Secular people are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, right? I mean, if you're watching some movie or a cable show or whatever, and they want to go to their kind of religious moment, like, you know, in The Godfather, somebody's being baptized, you know, while people are being shot. And, you know, if you want to do anything religious, and you want to look like you're doing some quick religion in some show, what do you do? All of a sudden, the actors are all stumbling through the Lord's Prayer, Right? Okay, that must be like some church thing. Mm -hmm. So we all get it that the Lord's Prayer is around. It's this, it's this familiar, ubiquitous prayer that we find all over the place. The Lord's Prayer, uh, though, despite its sort of casual, amazing grace application everywhere, it's actually really rather quite thick and, and challenging. It's a, it's a severe type prayer when we dig into it, which is what we're doing now. So... Jesus presents to his disciples this prayer as really a way of something for them to chew on. It's beyond their upbringing as Jews, and it takes it to a new level. So this morning, as we're going along through the Lord's Prayer, we tackle, we tackle your kingdom come, your kingdom come. It's the second petition out of seven. So now you're going to spend the rest of your time thinking like, what's the one, two, three? So that's okay. Do that if you need to. But it's the second petition out of seven in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. And it's easy enough to pray. It falls off the lips really well. But the implications are staggering. What is the kingdom we should pray to come? What kind of kingdom are we talking about? So certainly Jesus' kingdom is not like our worldly kingdoms when we think of the idea of kingdom and kings. The prophet Samuel, several hundred years before Jesus, one of the Old Testament prophets, uh, he responded to the Hebrews who complained that they were not like other nations. All the other nations had kings. How come we can't have a king and look like a real grown-up, legit nation like everybody else around us, right? And so they're telling Samuel, like, hey, ask God that we should have, you know, a king like everybody else. All the Jews had was his judges. And it just worked really, really well. And they didn't like it. So um, the people wanted to be a real nation, and so they wanted this real king. And here's how Samuel responds, unsuccessfully, I might add. He says this. So Samuel reported all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots to be his horsemen and run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow 
his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and equipment for his chariots. And he's going to take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. And he'll take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. And he will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his courtiers. And he will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to work. And he's going to take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because your king, whom you've chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. <laughs> like, you're going to be on your own. You want a king? And so we, the fallen people, answered, we want a king after that long speech. So that didn't work. Humans have a really difficult time understanding God's kingdom come. Uh, even the disciples quickly descend into, in the three years they're spending with Jesus, they quickly descend into power politics, even amongst themselves. James and John's mother, this might not be PC, but it, she's a Jewish mother. Wait, let's just go really MPC. So remember the light bulb jokes? Like how many Jewish mothers does it take to unscrew a, a light bulb? And the answer is, that's okay. I'll just sit here in the dark and wait to, for you to get a card that you never wrote me. So anyway, I guess those are really dated. Okay, that's okay. I'm moving on. So, um, so she's a Jewish mother, and she comes to Jesus, and she says, Declare that these two sons of mine will sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your kingdom. Oh, Jesus says, Oh, sit by my side, say you. You want them to sit by my side. You know how bad it's going to get? ridiculed, a crown of thorns, a purple robe, beaten, face swollen, abandoned, crucified. You want that for your sons? Does the mother of Zebedee's brothers come to her senses? Oh, yeah, you're right, Jesus. I forgot about all that, that you say, you know, you're going to be put to death. Mm -hmm. uh, what was I thinking? Nope, nope. She doesn't do go there at all. What happens next? Well, this is where it really gets special. The rest of the ten disciples get indignant at James and John. Who, who's, their mom's talking for them. They're not even saying, I want to be at the right and the left. And the whole thing just descends into this sort of whiny, you know, who's going to get the most honor and power? You know, it, they all start climbing, like, where's my participation award? I mean, the whole thing goes, Jesus says, so look, you guys... My disciples, you 12, you want to be like a, a, a Caesar? You want to be a tyrant? You want to be rich and powerful? You want to run the world? You want to sit at my right and at my left and dominate from heaven in my kingdom or on earth? You want to be great? Well, let me tell you, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you've got to be the servant of all. Curiously, Matthew, the gospel writer, where we're getting the Lord's Prayer from, the former tax collector who was rich and powerful, he does not record how the disciples responded. They didn't say like, oh, yeah, you're right, Jesus, I guess I got to be a servant. And if it's any indication of how little the disciples understood what Jesus was telling them, at Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter's got several swords with him. That's how little 
they understood what Jesus was asking them to do, become a servant. They thought they were going to take it by power and force. Somebody's going to get to sit on somebody's side. No, thy kingdom come is an incredible renouncement of imperial power, really. But, but don't get me wrong. Jesus' kingdom is not some wimpy, toothless, you know, pie-in-the-sky kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is this growing thing. It's beyond, really, our comprehension. It's this unstoppable, vigorous thing, the kingdom is. And it starts small, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. And that's how Jesus tells it in his classic parables. He put before them, the scripture says, in Matthew chapter 13, he put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. You guys know how small a mustard seed is? You guys ever plant this stuff? Uh, which, by the way, try stopping it after it starts growing. I mean, this stuff just goes everywhere. Um, they're tiny, like tinier than a pinhead, right? Um, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in a field, in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it's grown, it's the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make their nest in its branches. And he goes on. So I told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman put and mixed with her three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. Jesus wasn't just suggesting some nice, polite, religious platitudes in talking about yeast and mustard seeds. Evil's long run with the kingdom of God, evil's long run was coming to an end. The captives will be freed. Injustice will be removed, and Jesus did not suggest that all of this is just going to take place in some sort of heaven place. It's precisely your kingdom come here. Come here. Jesus didn't sell some mildly improved spirituality or some new and improved Ten Commandments or moral code or some snappy up-to-date theology. No, those who immediately after Jesus' resurrection embraced a new kingdom here and now in our current life situation, in their life situation. A more dangerous claim is what it was. In the unique life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the whole cosmos had turned a corner from darkness to light, from death to life. The kingdom was here, but it was highly different than anyone expected. Because always in their mind was the idea of a kingdom of tyrant and power and Caesar, the Roman Empire, King Herod, on and on and on and on. No one expected it the way it actually turned out. Of course, you know, at this point, we all have to face the question. Well, then if the kingdom's here right now, then why is there still injustice and hunger and war and guilt and shame and loneliness and evil people? Why is evil still going if the kingdom's here? So I've heard it taught in churches, even locally, that I've been involved with, that, you know, they go to a magical place. Well, there's nothing really practical here as much as things happen in the heavenlies. That they, she was cured in the heavenlies. Uh, you know, this happened spiritually, not practically, or here on earth. I've heard it preach that way that it just you know rather than deeply spiritual matters most most often look very ordinary and mundane i think our problem is we keep waiting for some sort of magic to look 
happen. And what it really is, is ordinary, vigorous Christians fighting for justice and fighting to take care of the hungry and the poor, to bring everyone up. And somehow we get captivated by by this idea that it ought to be some sort of huge, you know, miraculous, all the angels and showing up of heaven. But it's usually much more mundane than that. When Christians own the call to the kingdom come, we're really more like doctors who have discovered penicillin and we gave the penicillin to ourselves and now we make it available to others, yeah? And we find the sick and we treat them as they come of those we run into. Not some just magical universal thing all of a sudden. And this is why Lakeland, you know, is now in its sixth financial challenge. Yes, I had to sit down and try and count up how many financial challenges we've been. Sixth financial challenge, and, and we keep on keeping on above and beyond generosity with every financial challenge that we run about every three years, where we all give above and beyond. And the miracles of God at this point, the kingdom come, looks like people sitting down at the kitchen table and trying to calculate how much can we part with? What will put us at the feet of God to trust him so that we may do something about somebody who's in desperate need? It looks really ordinary and mundane. This is why Lakeland, now on its sixth financial challenge, will keep on with above and beyond the generosity that we already do. This is what God has called us to do, Lakeland. This is Lakeland's superpower. Did you know that Lakeland has a higher education level and a higher income level than the surrounding churches? You might say like, oh, happy us. That's not really the point of me saying that. The point is to say, this is what we have been challenged with by God. This is our superpower. This is what we're supposed to be doing. You don't sit back on your haunches and say, do nothing. This is where we say, get busy and get on with the work of God. You have been blessed in this way. Use it. This is the tool set we've been given to do the work of God that called us, as God's called us to do with our one lifetime. Sometimes, uh, you know, 25, 26, 27 years, Lakeland, uh, I get on my laptop and I'm looking for some file, right? You, you guys don't do this. I'm looking for something and I start un, undoing folders, right? And I start running into pictures. And uh, Lakeland photos of you guys, you know, just like these kids and these things, except it's all of you. You look so young. Uh, so, and, uh, and then picture after picture of Lakelanders I see in some neglected neighborhood somewhere, some disaster zone somewhere, uh, some terrible under-resourced nation. And there you are sitting on some, you know, cinder block steps or whatever. And... Um, Sometimes you're hot and sunburned. Um, sometimes you're unbathed. And let's just say we're really happy they're not scratch and sniff photos on your computer. Um, and the always throughout, of course, they're getting their picture taken. Everyone's smiling as they're holding a small child or they got a tool belt on and they got work gloves and they're filthy and they're fixing food, 
you know, maybe here, maybe somewhere else on the other side of the planet. They're doing de demo work. And meanwhile, uh, I don't even have a folder on my laptop of all the other mundane, ordinary miracles of the kingdom of God, which is people sitting there at 1030 at night making airline reservations to go somewhere else in the world trying to find the best deal, you know, or working on visas or making phone calls or arranging transportation or packing bags so they're under 50 kilos, you know, 50 kilograms and so forth. Elders working with a financial consultant on some Wednesday night or a Sunday night. People calling other Lakelanders, you know, on a long list saying, are you going to come? Are you going to show? On and on and on. I don't even have photos of all that stuff going on. That is the kingdom come. That's what it looks like. It gets done. This is how it happens. All of this is like we're gathering and collecting the building materials for a grand edifice, the kingdom of God, like a temple or whatever you want to call it, for this kingdom. King David, 900 years before Jesus or so, King David is told by God, you will not build my, my temple. They didn't have a temple yet, 1,000 years before Jesus. You, they didn't have a temple. David's like, I'm going to build you a temple, God. Like, no, no. No, you're not going to build a temple. Your son Solomon's going to build the temple. Oh. Well, David, you know, not to be outdone then. So David, obeying God, begins to stockpile the materials that his son Solomon will use to build the temple. He starts stockpiling timbers, cedar, uh, silver, gold, bronze, tile, marble. He starts stockpiling all of his stuff, like a huge, you know, Home Depot world or whatever you want to call it. And for us, that's like what we're doing right now. We don't know what the kingdom of God on earth is going to look like when Jesus returns. It is what we're doing right now during our one lifetime that is like the materials for the, the temple of God being stored up. What you do is not in vain. What you do matters and it counts no matter how insignificant or unknown that it is. Somebody's got to stockpile it. And that's what we've been asked to do. This is our reality. Now, these good works, this stockpiling, this is not what gets you into heaven. <laughs> Rather, this is the reality of the kingdom come. It's not a reward system. It's just simply the response of what people do when they've been given a charge to do something. It's the calling. This is Paul at the end of his famous chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, the very end just about. And he says this, Therefore, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is how Paul responds at the end of talking about and explaining the resurrection of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15. He doesn't get down to the end and say like, oh, y'all just ought to sit around real happy because you got, you know, eternal life. Woohoo. That's not how he ends the chapter. He says, therefore, there's a big therefore, therefore, you've got work to do because of the resurrection. You've got a kingdom to build. Get on with it. Be strong. Relentless. Let's get it done. 
Not in vain, he says, so that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. A vain life is one that doesn't participate in the stockpiling of the kingdom come. That's the vain life. This is what scripture means when it says, do not be caught unaware when Jesus returns. The Lord will come as a thief in the night. In other words, act like you've been here before. Like, yeah, 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 we're ready. We got this stuff over here. <laughs> you know, you don't even have to say like, hey, look what we've been up to. Like, yeah, it's all evident. And now the founding senior pastor has this challenge. My word to Lakeland on this fine post-Easter Sunday morning is this. Younger families and friends, you have a strong and solid older group of financial underwriters for the past 25 years. Your older brothers and sisters in Christ believe in you. Build the kingdom during your one lifetime. Do it better than the first generation Lakelanders. We are for you all the way. You are up. Swing for the fences. It is your kingdom come now. And first-generation Lakelanders do not stand in their way. May all of Lakeland be worthy of hearing this from the Lord. Well done, good and trustworthy servants. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen. Go in peace, everybody.